Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. One thing that is evident in Paul's journey is his love for the people who don't know God, and he wants them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Today, Jason is in Acts chapter 17, looking at verses 16 to 23, as Paul speaks to the men of Athens. Join us now as we look at part 58 of our walk through the book of Acts. Here's Jason. We find ourselves coming off of the the trail that led to Berea and the Apostle Paul and the ministry that he had among the Bereans, which no doubt had to be a very, very exciting ministry for him. Why? Because as he proclaimed the word of God, the Bereans took it, were excited about it, but they didn't leave it at that, right? They then went back to the Scriptures and they held whatever the Apostle Paul preached to them up against the Holy Scriptures. And they compared and found that they were indeed one and the same. And this morning... What we are going to find is Paul arrives in a new place and it is different altogether than than what he's seen in in many other cities that he's arrived in. And what we are going to see in particular on display for us is this. Paul's love for the lost and that you and I, we should have that same love. So turn with me to Acts chapter 17, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 23. And what many commentators and and church historians would say is the most significant spot that the Apostle Paul stops in his second missionary journey. And what many have depicted as an, an apologetic example and kind of a wonder of apologetics as he steps forward and defends the faith to these folks in Athens. So let's look at God's Word together and bask in the treasures that the Lord has before us in His Word, the reminders of His grace and His love. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Oropagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For we are bring, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim 
to you. So as we look around at the world all around us, what are we supposed to think? What is our attitude supposed to be like? And how do we make a difference in the world around us? And in particular, in the culture that the Lord has us in. We know that God's objective for us is to place us in this world. That once we are saved, He doesn't magically transpose us, take us on some sort of special trip, and bleep, we're in heaven. He, he keeps us in this world for a particular purpose and reason, and that is that, that we would be in the world, but not of the world. But, but what does that look like, and what kind of attitude should we have towards the culture all around us? That is what we are going to see this morning. How we should engage our culture, and in some instances how we should not engage our culture, and what the response is that, that we should expect to happen. Will they be thumbs up with everything that we have to share with the culture around us? Or will they actually push back? We've already seen them pushing back in the book of Acts. We've seen conflict. And today we will we will see a little bit of the same, but we will also see something else. In particular, what we are going to see is is really a blueprint of how we are to approach the world around us. How we are to step into the culture around us. And this morning, what we're going to see are are really two different aspects of how the Apostle Paul did this. First, we will see that he had a heart for the lost. A heart for the lost. And then we're going to see quite simply that as a result of that heart for the lost, as a result of the conviction that he had in his own heart, in his own life, for those that were worshiping all these other idols, he then has an impact on the lost. An impact on the lost. And in several weeks when we come back to the book of Acts, we will see that not only does Paul have a heart for the lost, not only does he have an impact on the lost, but he's got a message for the lost as well. And we'll look at that when, when we come back together in several weeks. But, but first, what we see oh so clearly is portrayed to us in the first couple of verses here. That Paul indeed had a heart for the lost and we should have a heart for the lost. Look at what it says. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, His spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Notice first what the game plan is. Because that's what we're given. We're told what Paul was doing and why he was in Athens. And what was he doing? He was in a holding pattern. It says that he was waiting for them. Who who was he waiting for? He was waiting for Silas and Timothy who were in Berea, right? He had left them in Berea as he kind of got chased out of Berea or wasn't to the place to where he actually got chased, but things were going south. And, and so the believers in Berea said, hey, you need to get out of here. And they escorted him. And he makes it all the way down to Athens. And I believe that they must have had some sort of game plan. And as they considered ministering in Athens, Paul's game plan and their... the the missionaries that he served with, their game plan was, hey, let's wait. You arrive, but you wait for us. And perhaps the reason is, is because of how huge a mission field Athens was. You see, it, it, at this time of, of ancient 
history, Athens was considered to be the, the center of philosophical thought. Everybody came to Athens for one purpose, and that was to, to philosophize. And to go around and to, to share what, whatever kind of philosophy that they had. And could it be that as, as Paul and Silas and Timothy thought about heading to Athens, they recognized, man, this is going to take some work. And this isn't something that I want to do by myself. So when I get to Athens, I'm just going to hold off and I'm going to wait for you guys to come. And then when you guys come, the three of us will jump right into ministry. And yet that isn't what happens. And I, I believe what happens is, is Paul is, is perhaps he's acting like a tourist. And and what he's doing is he is just cruising around Athens. He's observing things within the city. And as he walks around the city of Athens, not only was it the center of philosophy and thought, but it was also a place that you could not go without seeing tons of idols, tons of statues strewn all over everywhere. To such an extent that there was no building that wouldn't have an idol there. And along with that idol came worship. Even sacrifice to those particular statues. And so wherever Paul went, that's what he saw. And the idea here isn't that the first day he arrived in Athens and he went looking around, that then his heart was gripped. No, the idea here is day after day, he was going around and he was looking out, no doubt praying over what was going on. And day after day, his heartstrings kept getting pulled. To such an extent that even though they had this game plan of waiting, he wouldn't allow himself to continue on waiting. He had to say something. And so we see that happening in verse 17, right? And as a result of of seeing all of these idols... And his spirit being provoked. And, and do you know what that word is to, to be provoked? It's, it's to be drawn to the place to where you're, you're, you're now considering wrath. You're, you're angry. And it's the same word used earlier in, in the book of Acts in chapter 15 when, when Barnabas and Paul had a huge disagreement. And, and no, they didn't come to blows, but it was close to that. And they were angry towards one another in this disagreement. Why? Because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul said, no, we we can't take him. It's it's the same word used here, or at least a derivative of it. So so there is this idea that as Paul goes around and he sees this, that that his heart is grieved to the extent of, of being provoked to wrath getting angry, but there's also the, the flip side to, to where there's grief understood in this as well. And no doubt what, what he's considering is the fact that, that he's grieved at the present state of all of these Athenians and how Satan has just fooled them. And so then what does he do? He steps forward and he begins reasoning in the synagogue. If there was anybody that has had an excuse not to do this, it would have been Paul, right? How many of us like change? 
Yeah, none of us like change. Even talking about changing the, the service times and, and possibly having to revamp things is, is, is difficult. Perhaps this morning as you, as you looked at your bulletin and as you opened it up, you, you didn't like that change either. Why? Be, because the, where are the Roman numerals? Okay, I get it, Pastor Jason. You usually only have like two words there, but still it's helpful. This morning you've given me nothing. What, what, what is the deal? Well, I just wanted to torture you this morning. And, and, and make you wonder, man, what, what are the points? Maybe there's no point this morning. I'm just kidding. I, I really believe that, that it would be helpful that instead of me telling you exactly what you needed to write, and then if you have more to add between your, the first point and the second point, you, you're kind of locked, right? And you have to write it on the side over here and, and this and that. I, I'm going to let you write whatever the Lord is laying upon your heart to write. And if you if you want the outline, okay, here it is. A heart for the lost and an impact on the lost. And you can put that wherever you want. You can put it on the sides. And then you can write whatever the Lord lays upon your heart as the Word of God goes forth. But I recognize that change is hard. It's, it's, it's hard for all of us. So no doubt that this wasn't easy for the Apostle Paul. And yet he knew that this is what the Lord had for him. I, I wonder if... Sometimes the Lord is convicting our hearts and He's pulling at our heartstrings and, and, and He's provoking us to do something such as go over to this person that, that we work with who obviously is having a hard day and in tears. And the Holy Spirit is convicting. Hey, go over and talk with that person. Tell them about me. And instead, we no, 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 I, I'm not ready yet. I don't think they're ready yet. And, and so we lay that aside. And, and the example that the Apostle Paul gives us is we, we need to be led by the Lord. And as he's stirring our hearts, we need to walk forward. And that's what we see. We see the conviction that the Lord has placed upon him now turns into some sort of action. And, and look at the action. It's different than what we've seen in other cities. Even the timing's different. Normally, Paul would have gone right to the synagogue. He doesn't. He's waiting. But then even when it comes time for him to begin his, his preaching, his evangelism, look at what he does. He begins reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. Well, why does he do that? Because he recognizes that this is a rampant thing that's going on. It's just not that he wants to reach the Jews or, or the Gentiles, but that everybody in this entire city is into idol worship. And so as a result, his, his heart strings and the conviction that he has pulls him into wanting to share Christ with not just a select few, but everyone and anyone that the Lord brings. Those who just happen to be present. He's trusting that the Lord is going to happen those people to be there exactly when they need to be there. And, and might we consider that the Lord will do the same thing for us? That the Lord will go before us. But as we consider this, what, what is your attitude towards the lost that are around us? Because what's understood in this is that, that Paul desired for them to turn from what they were doing to something new. Right? That, that he knew that it was much more advantageous for them to respond to the gospel than to keep living the lives that they are living. Even though they may think that they are perfectly fine in 
whatever position, whatever state that they are in. And, and what is our attitude towards the lost such as these? I too wonder that as, as Paul was cruising around, not just in the synagogue, and again, this is the idea that he's doing this every day, and he's going from this section to this section of town, and, and he's proclaiming the gospel, that no matter where he goes, what is he seeing? He is seeing these, these statues in front of every house. Some commentators said that they, that they were literally lined up like trees that you could see. It was like a forest full of statues. Others said, you know what? It was easier for you to find a god, small g, in Athens than it was for you to find a man. That's how many of these there were. And as Paul goes every day from the synagogue to the marketplace and he's proclaiming, I'm thinking that his heart is continually getting pulled more and more and more. And I'm sure as you sit here this morning, you're thinking, yes, but I don't get it. Pastor Jason, I'll bet you have stories that, that are something like this in Papua New Guinea where you live. So, so you probably read this and it pulls at your heartstrings. And, and yes, there were. We, we had this thing happen in our village where a, a, a person died just as we were getting ready to share on the life of Jesus and raising Lazarus from the dead. And the people in Papua New Guinea, the Siawi people, they got this long piece of bamboo that they turned into a pole and they, and they added a, a, a can at the end with rocks in it and tied that to the end. And all the men come forward in the village, some 40 to 50 men, and they, and they lift up this pole. And then do you know what they do? They call out to the spirit of that particular person and they said, who killed you? Was it... This tribe over here. And they name that tribe. And, and then the, the pole doesn't do anything. The bamboo doesn't move. And they name another tribe. And the bamboo starts to move. Not only does it start to move, but it starts to guide them in that particular direction of wherever that particular place is. And then as, as they narrow it in even more, and they say, okay, so what family line was it? As they know the different family lines in that particular village. And they name those family lines and as they get to the one particular family line that that they now believe is the one responsible for the death of this person you know what happens then well then this thing starts moving so fast that it's throwing guys off of it literally by the time they're done as it started with 40 or 50 they'd say there would only be 15 guys being able to hold on to this thing they keep going down until it comes to a particular family And then they go to man by man by man. And as soon as they get to the one man that is supposed to be the sorcerer or whoever this guy is that did this person in, the stick goes crazy and everybody knows, oh, it was him. That that is the deceitfulness of Satan. And it's easy to see in Athens and it's easy to see in Papua New Guinea. But don't miss it here in the States. Don't miss it here with your neighbors. The problem is is that they're not bowing before a statue, so you don't see all the statues, but right next door, there is someone next to you that that believes in, lives their whole life according to what? Materialism. That's what they're all about, getting the bigger house, getting the nicer car. That's what they live for. They believe that if they can just have more and more of this, then their life will be fulfilled. And yet we know that you can't take anything with you. It's not he who dies with the most toy wins. He who dies with the most toy, he, he still dies. And there is judgment. 
Right? I had somebody come this, this weekend. I believe it was, it was Friday as we were getting ready for some folks coming over to our house and I was busy with a hammer running around the house doing this and doing that and somebody knocks on the door and it's this, this guy and his wife. And they say, oh, hi. I'm such and such and this is my wife and we're going around telling people about God. Hey, can, can you spend a little bit of time with me? And I step outside my door. Sure. And he, and he whips open his phone and he, and he opens up to a psalm and, and he's reading this and he's saying, oh, look, this is, this is the Lord Jehovah. Well, he's a Jehovah's Witness. And he starts telling me about this and that and then I, I pull up on my phone and pull out New American Standard and I say, actually, that's not Jehovah, that's Yahweh. That, that's the personal name for God. Do you know my personal God? And then all of a sudden he, oh, um, yeah, it looks like you're busy. Our hearts should grieve for these people that are all around us. And and don't think just because you don't see the idol that it's not there. It is. It's in their heart. And it's the way that they live. Whether you're in Papua New Guinea or you're here, we need to ask the Lord to give us a sensitive heart. To give us a love for the, the lost that are all around us. And look at what this heart of His for the lost does in verses 18 and following as he steps forward as this heart of conviction then causes him to actually do something and he's proclaiming the gospel we see the effect we see the impact that it has upon the lost and and we must recognize that when we step forward there's going to be conflict sometimes it's a conflict that's like a collision right that's like two rams Hitting each other. You know, I was watching that not too long ago, and they say that if that, if, if, if a human sustained that kind of impact, immediate death. Well, so should we think that when we proclaim Christ to, to a world that isn't in the same mindset that we are, that they're just gonna totally accept everything? No. And that's what we see. Look, look at the way that they respond. And yet, we're gonna see that God is gracious. Because the way that they respond really is in curiosity. They could have responded all sorts of other ways. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with them. So as Paul steps out, he's under the conviction that these guys need help. That they are worshiping the created things rather than the Creator. As he steps forward, he's making an impact on the whole city, not just the synagogue, but the marketplace. Then we see that some philosophers step forward. Epicureans and Stoics. And, and who are these guys? Well, Epicureans were all about one thing. Do you know what it was? Pleasure. Does that sound familiar? That's all that they cared about. Oh yeah, and pain. Keep, keep pain away from me, but let me pursue pleasure to whatever extent I want to pursue pleasure. And don't get in my way and tell me anything otherwise. And on, and on top of that, yes, I believe in a God, but, but I don't believe in a God that's personal, that's involved, and I certainly don't believe in anything after this world. This is all that we live for, is right here, right now. Again, lies of Satan. The, the Stoics were, 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 they were kind of like, kind of like pantheists, except for, instead of believing that everything is equal to God, they believe that everything, that God is in everything. You see the difference? It's not that God is equal to everything, but God's in everything. It's kind of like the force in Star Wars, right? That it binds everything together and however that goes. Okay, listen, they they were off. That's not true. God is a personal God. 
He's not in everything, but He's over everything. And so as these guys listen to Paul, as they dialogue, what, what do you think their response is? Are, are, are they excited? No. But they are sort of excited. <laughs> as what, their, their response is, well, man, what, what is this guy saying? What, what does he want to say? And they call him what? They call him an idle babbler. That doesn't sound too derogatory to us. It just sounds like, oh, he's just, you know, flapping all the time. And it doesn't really make any sense. It's, it's actually much deeper than that. It literally means a seed picker. And it has this, this, this idea behind it, this sort of word picture, this imagery of birds at the marketplace. And do you know what birds do at a marketplace where food is sold? They're just always on the perch waiting for somebody to drop some sort of food. And then what will that bird do? He'll fly down, swoop it up and take it. Because that's where they're getting all their food. You, you can see the same thing at In-N-Out. Right? With, fly, with, with birds coming after flies or if you leave your meal there. Hey, be careful. Right? Well, what is he saying? The, these guys are saying that that's Paul. Paul really doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a pseudo-intellectual. He's a pseudo-philosopher who's grabbed his philosophy and his understanding of religion from all these different sources that none of them make sense. Why? Because it's so different from what they believed. And so as a result, they, they question him. And they kind of deride him a little bit. And then they also say this, oh, well, he's the proclaimer of strange deities. Many believe that, that because they are polytheistic, meaning they believed and they worshipped many gods, that they couldn't understand this idea of one God. And so as Paul is proclaiming one God, they get confused even on what he is teaching. And that happens all the time and when you're teaching to a different culture, when you're preaching to a different culture. And the way that they interpret Paul is they say, oh, uh, we got it. So there's this God, Jesus, and he's, he's the son of God. And then there's this other God. She is the God of the, the resurrection, whatever that is, something about some life after this. And then our bodies will be raised. Who would ever want their bodies raised? We don't know because that goes against anything they would have believed in. And interestingly enough, the Greek for resurrection is in the feminine. So they could have heard, oh, a, a woman, a female God. And that's what they walk away with. Is that what Paul is saying? No. Is, is his religion and his philosophy of everything that he's, that he's preaching, is it some sort of hodgepodge of this and that from all sorts of different thoughts? No. It's all based upon God's Word, but it's all something that they don't know. And so as a result, what do they do? They, they literally, it says they took him and brought him to Oropagus. But no, it's deeper than that. They, they literally grab him. And he doesn't have a choice. It isn't like he goes, no, let's just wait a couple weeks till my buddies come. No, by this time he's committed, and they're committed, and, and so they take him to this place called Oropagus, and, and, and that does mean that the hill of, of Ares in the Greek, which was a, a god of war, and in Latin it, it means Mars Hill. And so that's why sometimes when, when we look at this passage of Scripture, it's talked about as the Sermon on Mars Hill. Well, it's, it's the same thing as, as Oropagus. And, and what really this is was, was just an ancient place where they would gather and do some sort of court. In fact, Socrates was killed through being condemned at this place. But during the time of Paul now, it had dumbed down a little bit. 
And they didn't so much gather in order to do a formal court and sentence someone to death as they just gathered in order to hear someone out, to hear some sort of new philosophy, to hear some sort of new religion. And as we see, that's what they were all about. They're not spiritually hungry for new truth. They're just hungry for any kind of new thing altogether. But they don't actually want to believe. They just want to hear something new, as we see in verse 21, right? Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. That's what they wanted. They weren't spiritually hungry for for new truth. They, They were more intellectually hungry for something new. As some of us get like that with the access to the Internet, right? Can you imagine what these guys would have been like that? Like if they had Internet? They just would have been listening and grabbing onto something new every day, every hour, every minute. And we need to be careful about getting pulled into that. But then look at what the Lord does. The Lord gives Paul an opportunity. And in this, He gives us an example of how we are to engage with our culture. Look at what happens. Verses 22 and 23. So Paul, he stood in the midst of Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Now if I was saying that, I would think that there's a little bit of sarcasm on, on, on my side. I also would have thought maybe I was actually kind of lying because I didn't, wouldn't have thought that they were all that religious, but they are. And, and Paul couldn't be lying because this is what he says. And do you notice the way that he engages? He isn't being offensive. He, he's not trying to offend them. He, he's trying to level the playing ground so that when he steps in, that, that he sees it as an opportunity for them to actually listen to him. How many times when we share Christ, do we become offensive so quickly that the person just turns off? We, we don't see that in anything described here. Instead, we see that there's more and more curiosity being built up because of the way that Paul is approaching them. Because of the way that Paul is preaching and sharing with them. And then look at... Verse 23, this is amazing. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. He's saying, hey, you know what? I wasn't merely just going on some sort of tourist trip as I was walking around. I was using that as an opportunity to use as a spring into the gospel, to use as some sort of door to open up and to walk into their life. Could it be that the Lord has opportunities like that for us? Some sort of diving board that the Lord has given us to to engage someone with in order to bring them to the gospel just as the Apostle Paul does here. Proclaiming to them that which they did not know that now is something knowable. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? You don't know who this God is and I really don't know Him either. He's so much greater than I am and so much vaster than I am and His knowledge is so much beyond me that you know what? You, you really can't know anything about this God. And it's fine for you to kind of stay in your state and me to stay in my state. No. What He's going to do now is He's going to proclaim who this God, that they did not know who He is. And is that not the same message that we have? 
for all of those around us who do not know our God. That He's given us the opportunity to proclaim Him to those around us. What's even more significant is the fact that some 600 years before this, there, there was a huge, terrible plague that came into Athens and it was wiping everybody out. And so this man named Epimenides steps forward and he, and, he, and he takes all these sheep and he brings these sheep into the city and he lets them loose. And do you know what they do? This would be very much the same way they would do this in our village in Papua New Guinea, being animists. These, these guys act like animists. They let the sheep go and wherever the sheep stops and lies down, they look around and see, hey, what, what, all, what, what, what little G God is close by? And whatever little G God is close by, they offer that particular sheep as a sacrifice to that God. Small G. Over here they do the same thing. Over here they do the same thing. So they're offering these, these sheep, making sure that they've got all their gods covered. But then what happens when a sheep falls down right here and there is no temple? There, there is no statue. There is no idol close by. What do they do then? Then they offer to the unknown God. Think about what God has done some 600 years before Paul comes and, and preaches to them. He's laid the door. He's already laid the groundwork for, for then Paul to step through and say, hey, you know what? You don't know who this God is, but I do. Why? Because He is a God who has revealed Himself to us. And His Word says this, and I am now going to proclaim that to you. And that's what we have the pleasure and the privilege of doing that the Lord has given us that same task. So you'll notice that in your notes, I, I did keep the points to ponder for us to consider this next week. Number one, as you consider Paul's heart for the lost of Athens, think about your own heart. Do you grieve for those around you in the spiritual state that they are in? Why or why not? And how does your heart need to be changed? Number two, what would you consider to be the main idols people worship today in our cultures? And what is your response like to this kind of worship? Do you respond like Paul, who graciously but firmly still responded, right? And think about this too. How encouraging to see that God had gave Paul an example through, through this unknown God as, as a bridge, as a, as a door to open to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who were in Athens? What kind of bridges do you see in our modern culture all around us that God has given us as an opportunity, as a segue to then talk about the Gospel? Let me close our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example of the Apostle Paul, Lord, and we ask that You would continue to go before us. That You would continue to make our hearts like Your heart. That the things that matter to You would matter to us. And that we would trust You as we walk before You and as You lead us. And as we seek You for bridges, for doors for us to walk through that we might share You with others that the culture around us wouldn't be the thing that dictates, but that your gospel would be the thing that comes and changes people forever, Lord. 
we thank you for giving us the message of the cross and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would help us to take it out to the culture and to the world around us as we go from here this morning. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.